Well, I regret to inform you that you're stuck with me for the next four mornings. So I figured I would do something of a, a four-part series. We're going to be... hope that's okay. We're going to be looking at the books of First and Second Samuel for the, for, for the next three and a half weeks. And so I thought over these next four days, I would basically give a, a summary. And, and that can serve as an introduction and an, and an aid for us to receive these readings over, over the next three and a half weeks. And of course, I encourage you to, to read, them, read the, the entire two books on your own at home as well. And the, these two books, they have three main characters. They're Samuel, Saul, and David. And today we just heard a little bit of the, the origin story of, Sam, of Samuel, his, his birth, and I'll get into that. But so basically today I'll focus on Samuel, tomorrow on Saul, Thursday on David, and then Friday, kind of wrap it all together. <clears throat> so the background here, the, the context, is the Israelites had just been freed from Egypt had just been freed from bondage, had just come out of, of slavery in Egypt and through their exodus in the, in the desert and come into the promised land. And <clears throat> during their time in the desert, they had the encounter with God on Mount Sinai where they received, where they established a covenant and received the Ten Commandments. And so this had been God's, <clears throat> God's teachings of how to live in freedom to no longer be bound to slavery as they had been in Egypt. And then they entered the promised land and they were supposed to obey these commandments, but of course they didn't. They failed very strongly. And this is pretty much the pattern, right? God's covenant, commandments, a resolution to fulfill them, but then falling, failing, repentance, renewal of the covenant, and repeat. And so what comes after is the book of Judges, in which the tribes are led by several judges. It's still kind of splintered, being led by judges. Judges, not so much in our common sense, some, something like governors or rulers with some judging power, but not necessarily just, just judging. But so they're leading them, and they're failing, these judges. Some are good, but most are corrupt. And this leads the this time and the, the Israelites in this time into a total moral chaos. But they are still remembering their covenant and God's promise, and so now they ask for a king to unite them. And the closing line of Judges is, in those days there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. So setting up what, what would come, the king. And so this, this opens the period of the royal kingdom. If anyone has done the Jeff Cavins Bible timeline, this is, this is that, that period, the, the royal kingdom. And that's told primarily in First and Second Samuel and then continued in the books of Kings. So the author here is anonymous. We'd, he doesn't tell us who it is, but it's probably partly Samuel, maybe also Nathan and Gad, other prophets and historians. It was originally one book, but then when the translators of the Septuagint translated into Greek, they separated them into two books. And then the, the time period is basically from 1100 BC to 90, 960 BC, so a thousand years before Christ. 
is when the first king comes. And, and of course, that leads to David, uh, which is a foreshadowing of, of Christ a thousand years later. So Samuel is the first, is the first of these figures. And he ends up being remembered as Israel's last and greatest prophet. And he's the one that first unifies the tribes as one kingdom. Now, his life begins as a miracle, as we just heard his mother Hannah in her grief of being barren. And what did she do with that grief? She went to the Lord. She cried to the Lord. And this is, of course, not a unique theme in the Bible. Bible. We had seen that in Sarah, in Rebecca, in Rachel, in Samson's mother, who is unnamed. And then, of course, finally in Mary. Not that Mary was barren, but we see similar themes in all of them. And I'll get into that more in just a second. But so when Sarah was... <clears throat> Grieving her, her infertility, she cried to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, if you look with pity on the hardship of your servant, if you remember me and do not forget me, if you give your handmaid a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall ever, shall ever touch his head. Right away we see a glimpse into Hannah's heart that she, wasn't, she didn't want a child in order to fulfill herself or her happiness or what have you. She was doing this because she wanted to give her son to the Lord. And then her prayer was answered. And I will read her song, which we didn't get into in the first reading, but her song, Hannah's song, maybe we will in the next couple of days, but here's how it goes. And you see similar themes already with the, with the Magnificat, right off the bat. My heart exalts in the Lord. My Mary begins her song of thanksgiving as... My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. So here, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides thee. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let, no, let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And if you're familiar with the Magnificat, you're hearing these themes that we find in the Magnificat as well. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord, Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. So you see here in the heart of Hannah, Hannah her total dependence on the Lord, trust in the Lord, surrender to the Lord, both before having her prayer answered and especially after 
her prayer having been answered. Not at all phased by, or not at all distracted, I should say. She was phased in the sense that she was sad and grieving. That's fine. But she was not at all distracted by this, all the injustices around her. And that didn't go into what set up her grief. She was the second wife of, I forget his name, somebody probably knows, but the other wife was, had had many children and she would, she would brag to her and, and belittle her for not having children. So she's not distracted by that. She turns to the Lord and she exalts the Lord in this great song of thanksgiving that the Lord is always the one who brings justice, who brings goodness, who prevails, who brings light into darkness. Okay, I'm already at nine minutes. There's a lot of snow outside. You're probably not going anywhere. <laughs> so despite human... I'll just wrap this up. <clears throat> so despite human evil, God is at work, right? That's the, that's the point. And already the promises of God raising up a messianic king. Now Samuel, just a quick, quick run through his, his early life. He... he spends much time in the temple as a child and God singles him out as a prophet. And the first prophecy that he makes is that is about God's judgment on the corrupt priests. And the priests, the sons of Eli, were very corrupt and he could see this. And so he brings a prophecy of their, oncom- their oncoming judgment. Then he rises to power. But the Philistines, so of course he's leading the Israelites, the Philistines also rise to power. And eventually they, they go into battle. And the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, and what do they do? They arrogantly bring out the Ark of the Covenant into battle as, a, as a, some sort of magical trophy. Not at all praying to God, not at all asking God for help, not at all surrendering to God's will, but just bringing out this magical trophy. Here, we have the Ark of the Covenant, so you guys should just surrender. And of course, that's not what happens. The Philistines win the battle and steal the Ark and take it back to their to their temple and place it in their temple. But then Samuel is not involved. Samuel remained focused on the Lord. And so he remains humble and obedient. And he says, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So now... The people are start under the leadership of Samuel. Now they're starting to place their focus on the Lord again. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This is what Samuel responds. Again, he's a prophet. He's appointed by the Lord. That's how he's instructing the people. So maybe we can we can close here for today. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away the foreign gods that are among you. So what are those? What are the foreign gods among you? What are those that we need to put away so that we can serve the Lord only, serve Him only, and trust that He will deliver us from the hand of the Philistines?